You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Great song. I love that. I want to know him more. Take your Bible tonight, if you would, and go, if you would, to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And I hope our spirit is that when we come to church today. I want to know Christ more. And hopefully as we're listening to messages and Sunday school lessons and all of that, we're thinking about that, how we can know Jesus more. Uh, Just two quick announcements. First of all, Please uh, keep one of our brothers in prayer from our church, uh, Brother Stephen Medellas. Um, you know, he was in the hospital for a week last week and uh, just got out. And he's facing some uphill battles, and uh, he could use a word of encouragement if you think about it, but he uh, could use some prayer. So just keep Brother Stephen Medellas in prayer, if you would. And then I believe it is today... Deharos, is it your anniversary today? Their anniversary, their one year wedding anniversary. Give them a hand of applause. They made it a year. They made it through that first year. Okay, I think it's smooth sailing from here on out. No problems, right, married couples, after your first year? No problems. <laughs> Uh, you're only 150th of the way until death. All right, so you're good. But uh, congratulations, you two. I'll take your Bibles. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. Our, our uh, subject tonight, and uh, we're dealing with on Sunday evenings, and I know we've had great crowds on Sunday morning and all that, but I know that our Sunday evening and Wednesday evening crowd are, are form really the, the core of usually those folks that are faithful and, and serving in many ways. And and I want to be teaching consistently, and, and, and this is the purpose of the series, on how to make this church stronger. And, and, and I didn't say bigger. I said stronger. We need to have a, stre- a strong foundation in our church, a healthy foundation in our church. And so we looked at building relationships. Last week we looked at prayer, but I mean, come on, we could talk about prayer for every, every week of the year and still not uh, scratch the surface of all the wonders that prayer involves. But the third thing I want to mention and, and speak about, not just mention, but preach about tonight, is strengthening the church through unity. Strengthening the church through unity. I want to talk about unity tonight, and uh, I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start and end in this passage tonight. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. So then he says this, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering and forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Skip down to verse 11, if you would. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting or the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, complete man, mature man. To, you've grown, okay? Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's our standard. Your standard for living is not what the guy next to you is doing. I'm doing better than him, so I'm doing great. No, the standard is Christ, and we are to be conformed into that image and growing together every day until we look like him. So let's, good luck with that, right? Not till we get to heaven. But it says there that verse 14, that, oh, we'll just stop there in, in verse 13, where it talks about to the measure of the fullness of Christ, coming together in unity of the faith. And so talked about twice here in this passage is, is a church to be unified to be unified, a people to be unified. And so let's pray together, and we're going to talk about this subject of unity. Father, we ask now for a like-mindedness in here, as Paul prayed for amongst his people uh, in the book of Philippians and others, that he said, I have no man like-minded. I pray that we'd have a like-mindedness here, that we would share the same goals, that we would realize we have the same God, and that we would have the same uh, uh, hopes and, and, uh, for the future and for what we're supposed to be doing as a church so God, help us to be unified tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I know it's not March Madness time of year uh, quite yet. It's getting there, but I still remember being nine years old and watching March Madness basketball. I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas, as you probably well know, because I say it all the time. And, uh, and I lived there for the first 10 years of my life. There are no professional teams in Arkansas. It's not like, you know, we've got the Little Rock, Lakers or something. I mean, there's nothing, you know, nothing even close, right? So just a little little state there, and uh, because of that, we, we we never win anything because we have no teams, and there's not much to cheer about, you know. It's like, oh, there's another cow on the block, yeah, you know. There's not much really to cheer about where I grew up until the Arkansas Razorbacks, the college team in Arkansas, got really good in basketball, 1993, 1994. And as a young kid, I was a Razorback fan. I'm still a, I'm still a kind of low-key Razorback fan. I still root for them, but I'm not going to have their posters on my wall anymore, things like that. But uh, I, I still do love the Razorbacks. And, they, and uh, that year, they, they were doing really well, and uh, I still remember the players' names that were on the team that year. And, and uh, probably none of you remember Corliss Williamson and Scotty Thurman and uh, uh, Big O, Oliver Miller, other people like that. Well, anyway, they went into the March Madness uh, 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 tournament there, and they got all the way to the championship. And they got matched up against Duke. Coach K, on that Duke squad was Grant Hill. Grant Hill, if you know NBA basketball, was a fantastic basketball player. I mean, he, if he didn't have injuries, he'd be one of the all-time greats. He was an amazing basketball player. And that year, they went to the championship, Lee Mayberry, all these guys, and they won. I remember watching on TV as a nine-year-old. We were thrilled. We're like, Arkansas did something, you know. We're like, this is great. And we won the championship. We, we did not have, really, better players than Duke that year because Duke had some outstanding talent. They had an outstanding coach as well. But what we had was a better team. They were full court pressed the entire game. And it was, I mean, it was an incredible team that we had. And that's why we won, because we had a better team. You know, we could all share stories like that. Your team that you vote for, you root for, we didn't, we won that year because we had the better team, or, or they just had the better team than us. I don't know if you watched the football game uh, back in uh, the national championship for uh, Georgia versus T TCU this last year. I didn't even watch it, but I saw the end of the game, the score was like 60 something to seven. 
You know, it was, it was, and that was a championship game. And uh, so the uh, TCU was like, I think they just have a better team than us. And I was like, you're right, they did. Everybody was better than you on that team. But uh, we, we've heard those things that, that uh, the, the team that plays like a team wins. Well, that's what we're talking about when you talk about unity. A, a, a unity is a unit, something united, something together. The Bible word means a oneness. Now, only God and only and only God can take people from as many different walks of life, nationalities, and backgrounds as we have and say, you're one, and it work. Only in God, only in Christ can you see that. And uh, I, I'm so thankful for our church. We've mentioned it so many times that that's what we see. But there should be a oneness in church. Uh, uh, Psalm 133.1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. All right? You ever been arguing and then thought to yourself, wait a second, we're on the same team. Let's not argue. We're on the same team here. I think about Abraham and Lot. Abraham and Lot separated and, uh, because Abraham said, let there be no strife, I, I pray, between me and thee. And so he, uh, he took Lot and, and separated from him. He did not want the strife there. Uh, Paul spoke of, as I mentioned in my prayer, Paul spoke of having no man that was like-minded, Nobody that was like-minded. He said, no one's thinking like me. No one's, no one's thinking about the gospel like I'm thinking about. I, I want someone to sacrifice like I sacrifice and do what I do. He wanted someone with the same goals. The Bible describes Christians as the body of Christ. The body of Christ. We're all in one body, and yet we're fighting ourselves. You ever see people get so mad, they like they punch themselves? Ever see that? I've seen the people do that. They get so mad, they're just so worked up, and they just like punch themselves or something. That, that's not what church is supposed to be. Not supposed to be punching, you, you know, you're in you're one body. We are one body of, of Christ, and we are to be unified. There should be unity and a team spirit in the church. We sing this song, you know, haven't in a long time. We are one in the bond of love. We are one in the bond of love. Something, 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 something. I don't know the words. We are one in the bond of love. You know that song? You don't know the version I just sang. You're like, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, there are words in there, but uh, we are one in the bond of love. In Colossians 3.15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. Be thankful. My wife and I sometimes joke that it's us against the kids. It's us against them. We're outnumbered. There's four of them, and there's two of us. But we're smart. We can take, you know, <laughs> there's some truth to that, you know. You have to have some uh, a team spirit there, a united front, you know, against the children. No, not against the children, but a united front in marriage is important. I read a long time ago a Peanuts cartoon, you know, Peanuts with uh, Charlie Brown and all them. Is it Charlie Brown? Yes. Okay, sorry for a second there. Lucy was demanding from her brother Linus that he change the channel on the TV. And, and uh, he, he said, what makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? And she said this, she said, these five fingers, individually they are nothing, but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Linus said, what channel do you want? And then in the, in the comic, he turns away, looks at his hands and says, why can't you guys get organized like that, <laughs> you know? But there is power in a church. There is strength in a church when there is a one-mindedness, when there is a unity, when there is a togetherness. You know, it's, it's not, hey, the staff is reaching the world. No, it's the, the people, the church is doing our part to reach the world. 
You know, it, 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 it's the uh, people getting involved and, and serving together and working together and doing life together at church. You know, it, it's not a side thought. No, our life should be revolved around what is happening at the church. What is, what is going on? What, what are we doing together? How are we, how are we reaching our community? Uh, what missionaries are we going to support? How are we going to get the gospel to these places that don't have the Bible? You know, how can I impact someone else's life? How can I disciple someone and bring them along with me? You'll notice that there are people that are not here tonight that were here this morning. You know what? Why don't we take some of these people on Sunday morning that are new to our church and new to Christianity and say, hey, won't you come sit with me tonight at church and just start working on people and building and discipling? There has to be a unified front. Gethsemane Baptist Church is a group of saved, baptized believers bonded together for the purpose of edifying one another and evangelizing the world. Are we doing this? Are we unified as a church? Take your Bible. Go back a couple books to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 should just be about two books back there if I did my math right. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, three books, sorry, I didn't do my math right. Forgot Galatians. 1 Corinthians in chapter number 12. I want to show you the enemy of unity. The enemy of unity. 1 Corinthians in chapter number 12, of course, this is talking about in the first part spiritual gifts that God gives in the body of Christ, but it's also going to talk about how every member uh, is part of the body of Christ. Okay, we're all part of the body of Christ, and it says here in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 18, but now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And they were all, uh, and if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet one body? You know, if the whole body was a finger, that, you know, that wouldn't really be a body. But God has placed us in with different functions. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. Or attractiveness for our comely parts have no need but God hath tempered the body together having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another and the last verse we we'll read verse 26 and whether one member suffer all the members suffer with it or whether one member be honored all the members rejoice with it God is talking about the body of Christ and how he fits things together and, and how, you know, so, some may not be uh, uh, glamorous in some way, but they're necessary and they're needed and God exalts, uh, you know, the humble and all these type of things that we're seeing in there. But he mentions something that is the antithesis, that is the enemy of unity. And he mentions it in verse 25. It says, why did he do all those things that we just mentioned? That there should be no schism in the body. No schism in the body. What is a schism? A schism is a tear. A schism is a split. It's a division. It's separation. It's a dissension. It's, it's, a, it's a split, a tear, a division. Uh, it, it really, in the context, refers to, quite literally, to cause two groups instead of one. Like you, you are, there was a group of people, they were bonded together, and something separated them. You know that I could, on Sunday morning how easy it would be for me to just say one statement and divide the whole church. 
let me say a statement about politics. Let me have a very strong opinion about politics on Sunday morning. And you know what I've just done? Whoop, just separated. And maybe I separated into like four or five categories, you know? So, and, and, and I don't preach political messages. I don't do that. I have my opinions. If you want to ask me, I'd be glad to tell you. But, but uh, you know, but what I'm saying is it's easy sometimes to, to say something that causes division, that causes a tear. Because now why is it about that? Now, now what we're looking at, this is more than just a disagreement about doctrine. It's not like, well, me and you disagree about, you know, what the word propitiation means or whatever, and so now there's a schism. No, no, no. This is more than, this is, this is in the realm of love. The word schism here that we're seeing, it's more in the realm of love. In other words, th- there has been a problem with the love that we're supposed to have for one another. And when that love has been, is not there, when the love is not there like it ought to be, there can come a division or a tearing. Now, I, I will just tell you, the devil would love to tear apart relationships at our church. The devil would love to. How many of you remember uh, Hulk Hogan? Remember Hulk Hogan? Okay, some of you are embarrassed to be like, oh, dude. yeah, remember Hulk Hogan? He would come in as a pro wrestler, all roided up, you know, he's got steroids everywhere. And uh, he'd come out and he'd take his shirt, you know, that thin, tiny, teensy, wincy little, uh, 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 what was I, I call them white beaters from the South. That's not what they're called. Uh, tank tops, I'm sorry. And, uh, and uh, he'd come out there and he'd go, ah, you know, he probably could just be like, rip. You know, he's like, can't even scratch his head. He's got muscles so big. And he'd come out there and he'd just rip that shirt apart, you know, and, and then proceed to fake his way into victory, you know, with everything. Did I just spoil pro, pro wrestling for some of you? Okay, it's fake. All right, but anyway. But he, you know, I, I was thinking about those garments and I was thinking I should do that. I should put like a, a, like a white t-shirt over my suit and just like rip it apart. But I got scared, like maybe I wouldn't be able to. So I didn't want to do that. But uh, can you imagine like when you rip something, trying to get that back together is not easy. I'm no seamstress, okay? But I can tell you, uh, it takes a lot of work to mend a garment. It takes a lot of work when something has been ripped apart to bring it back together. A lot of marriages wait until they have been ripped apart, and now they're like, okay, pastor, counselor, put my marriage back together. It would have been a lot easier if you started when the tearing first started, but you waited until the whole thing was ripped apart. And, and so when the devil is trying to rip apart relationships in the church between you and your spouse, which is not in the church necessarily, but between you and your spouse, you and your kids, you and someone in the church, you and a spiritual authority or whatever, I tell you, when it gets ripped apart, it is very hard to mend it back together. It's very difficult. But that is what the enemy of unity is, is schisms, divisions. Take your Bible, go to, you're in 1 Corinthians, go back to chapter 1. Look at chapter 1. I know you're thinking, Pastor, you're still in the introduction, this is going to be long. It won't be long. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to have you go here, then, then just one other, two other places, and we're done. I'm going to give you a couple points, but um, they are brief. 1 Corinthians in chapter number 1, look at verse number 10. What did I say? Folks, let me be clear. 1 Chronicles chapter 1. Did I say second? Hey, you tried preaching four times. Okay, let me be clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What did I say? I can't hear everybody talking at once. 
chapter 10. 3 Corinthians chapter 4. No. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I apologize. You know what? I'm starting in verse 10. That's where, that's on my notes. That's probably what happened there. I wish I could drink coffee sometimes, folks. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I said it right. There we go. Verse 10. All you stinking judging people here. All right. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. See that? Speak the same thing. What does it mean? And that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That is a hefty verse. Boy, that, that's... Look at that again. That ye speak the same thing. He's beseeching these brethren. And that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Schisms, divisions, fightings. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I'm of Paul, and I am Apollos, and I am of, a, of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or he baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I, I know not whether I baptized any other, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ to be made of none effect. He's saying, why are you arguing over these silly things? Well, Paul baptized me, so I'm better than you, because only Apollos baptized you. Oh, yeah? Jesus baptized me. You know, and they're arguing over silly things. Remember when James and John were like, hey, can we sit on your right hand when we get to heaven? You know, like, why, why is there an argument of, I'll tell you why there's an argument over these things. When people start lifting themselves up, contentions arise, divisions arise. And Paul is saying, look, get busy preaching the gospel. Because if there's one thing we can agree on, it should be that this world needs Jesus. So get out there and quit this arguing. I, I beseech you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, speak the same thing. Let there be no divisions among you. But get busy. That oftentimes why we are contentious with people or why there are divisions in the home and the family or wherever else, we're just not, we need to get busy doing stuff. We need to be doing something for God. So I want to just very briefly take you back. I'll be very careful that I say the reference right. If you'll go back to Ephesians chapter 15. No, I'm kidding. Ephesians 4. There is no Ephesians 15, folks. Ephesians chapter 4. Miss Ruth Dollar, it's good to see you today. Back in church, healthy and safe and sound. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And just briefly tonight, what does it take to have unity? What does it take? What does the Bible talk about when it talks about unity here? Endeavoring to keep the unity in the, of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're going to look at this, one other passage at the end, and uh, that's it. Ephesians chapter 4, look at the first three verses here, and let's see what does it take to have unity. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness. So he's going to say that you, you need to endeavor to keep the unity. 
How do you need to walk then? You need to walk with lowliness. What's the word lowliness? This means that it's going to take humility. That's what it means. If, you, know what it, you know what the price tag for unity in a church is? Humility. What is the price tag for unity in your marriage? Humility. And by the way, sometimes it can feel like a hefty price tag. Man, you know, I, this is hard to do, to humble myself in this situation. If it were easy, there would be no marriage problems. But it's hard because we have, a pro, we have pride. But he says that lowliness means humility or modesty. With all lowliness, with all humility, if we want to have unity in our church, and, and, and I know that I'm, I'm primarily speaking of the church, but you take these things and apply them to any relationship. You want to have unity, there's going to have to be humility. Someone's going to have to take a step back sometimes. There's always give and take. It's the same word that Paul used in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. In lowliness and humility of mind, you put the other person first. In humility of mind, you lift up the other person, not lifting up myself. No, you're lifting up the other person in humility of mind. That's what it takes to have unity. It's humility. Well, I don't want to let people walk all over me. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about humbling yourself, not causing division, not causing schisms, but, but humility. It was, by the way, in that very same chapter of Philippians chapter 2, when it says that each esteem other better themselves, look, not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and humbled himself. So it was saying, look, you ought to do this for other people. And here's the mindset you need to have, the mindset of Jesus, because Jesus humbled himself. I mean, he washed the disciples' dirty feet. He, he, he humbled himself to come from the throne room of heaven, to come to this earth. I think it's not too much to ask for us to humble ourselves amongst our, our brothers and sisters in Christ and to humble ourselves at home with our spouse, with our kids, or with co-workers or family that you live with, or whatever. Humility. It's the same word that we see, this uh, lowliness is the same word as humility translated in, in 1 Peter 5, 5. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Did you put on humility this morning when you came to church? Did you put on humility when you were talking with your spouse today? Did you put on humility when you were, were dealing with your Sunday school class or the ministry you're in? Did you put on humility? Be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, giveth grace to the humble. So the first thing it's going to take it's going to take humility, but look what it says next here. It says, with all lowliness and meekness. The word meekness, we often say it's not weakness, but the, the literal meaning here is gentleness. What will it take to, to have unity in church? It will take humility, but secondly, it will take gentleness. Gentleness. By the way, this is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit, being gentle. You know, some situations and some people require more gentleness and care than others. You can't deal with everybody the same way. You know, the, the, the quote they say is, you know, to a hammer, everything's a nail. You know, they're just, everything they see, that's the way they, that's the way they address it. But, but some people have been beaten down by life. They have suffered 
They have been through everything you can imagine. They have gone through a lot. And we have people all the time that come to church from Long Beach for crying out loud. And, and, and Long Beach, hey, I love Long Beach. It's my home for 16 years, but, but there's brokenness all over our city. And people are coming in, coming in broken. Their lives have been broken. Many times their relationships have been broken. Uh, they've been broken from an early age. Maybe something happened to them and, and all of this stuff, and they're coming in. And what they don't need is they don't need a hammer. They don't need somebody, well, what are you doing here dressed like that? What are you, they don't need, they need a pillow. They, they need somebody who will, who will be gentle with them because the devil is not gentle with anybody. It's rough out there. It's rough all over out there. And when they come to a church, there ought to be people here that just take time to love them. Just take time to be gentle with them. When you're dealing with people at church, how do you deal with people? Is that, you know, maybe you're a ministry leader and, and, and your rule of thumb is crack the whip. Sometimes people need gentleness. Hey, we're not perfect and we're never going to be till we get to heaven. But we need to realize that, that people should never be treated harshly at church. That, that shouldn't take place. I don't want to see anybody around here uh, uh, treating uh, the homeless that sleep around our church harshly. Get out of here. I, I, I don't want to see that kind of stuff. That should not be. And I, and I don't see that stuff. But, but there should not be that spirit of dealing with things harshly. That says more about you than it does the people you're dealing with. That says you got some stuff going on. So what's it going to take for unity? It's going to take humility. It's going to take people when there is a disagreement when there is a problem, it's going to take gentleness instead of, all right, put on the gloves, we're fighting. No, it's going to take gentleness to say, you know what? No, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not fighting. We can discuss. By the way, you can correct gently. You can correct someone, like fully, just right to their face, correct them over something and still be gentle about it. But it says here, number, let's go to the next one. Well, I, I can tell you didn't like that one, so let's go to number, number three. Maybe you'll like the next one. Here we go. With all lowliness or humility and meekness, that's gentleness, with long-suffering. The word long-suffering is really our word, patience. Patience. What will it take to have unity in church? Humility, gentleness, and it'll take patience. Patience. This is another fruit of the Spirit. Long-suffering is a fruit of the Spirit. Um, we are, as I mentioned earlier, we are never, ever, when we're dealing with people at church, we are never dealing with perfect people. You'll never have a perfect pastor. I mean, I'm awful close, but I'm just kidding. First Corinthians chapter 10. Um, you're never going to have a perfect pastor. So far from it, right? You never have a perfect staff. You'll never have perfect deacons and deacons' wives. And they're waiting for me to joke on them right now. But I'm not. But they're, they're wonderful people. But uh, you'll never have perfect ministry leaders. You'll never have perfect uh, church attenders. There will never be a perfect church outside of heaven. You're never going to deal with perfect people. What I'm saying is we need to have patience. We need to have patience with people and give them room to grow. We were telling... Um, our, uh, uh, my, my brother-in-law, Faith's brother Jonathan, his wife are here, was here this morning with their kids, and uh, they're, they're going on a cruise today out of El, uh, the Long Beach Harbor, their pier, and uh, we were telling them that uh, my mom's coming out on Tuesday. My mom's flying out in two days to spend some time with us out here. We're looking forward to that, and uh, we were talking about how when she's around our kids, she will sit there and listen to the longest stories. Like sometimes kids just talk a really long time. 
And, and I'm sitting there like, I'm already tired of hearing the story. Just, they're not listening to me anyway. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, and they'll tell them the story over and I've, Maybe I've heard the story or whatever, and I'm like, okay. But my mom is like, just, just in it, you know, yeah. And I'm like, this lady has the patience of a saint, you know, like to be able to sit and listen to that. My grandmother, my mom's mom, same way, just so patient with things. And, and I don't know, like that's, I wish that trait had been like passed down hereditarily, you know. I'm not patient all the time. I tell you, and I, my wife one time recently asked me, why do you give so many illustrations about driving? You always like use the illustration of, and when you're on the freeway or whatever, I'm like, because it makes me angry. You know, like, am I the only one? But uh, patience is something we need. Y you have to give people room to grow. Imagine a plant and you're always just stamping it out. It's not going to grow. You have to give people room to grow. You have to be patient. I'm not saying you have to put up with everything, but I'm saying you have to be patient with people. At Brother Cole's funeral, something so profound was said. And I can't remember if Michael said it or if Brian said it. One of them, it was one of the men from the mission stood up and said, you know, Brother, Brother Cole uh, one time said to me, if you're going to err, err on the side of mercy. And I was like, oh. <laughs> you know, like knife to the heart, twisting it, you know, like, oh. if you're going to err, err on the side of mercy. You know, just be, uh, uh, he's dealing with all these people, all these walks of life, brokenness. And he said, I'd rather err on the side of mercy than on the side of harshness. You know, and, and that was so profound to me. That's, it takes sometimes us being patient with people. Us looking beyond what people are saying and seeing the need. What's it take for unity? It takes humility. It takes gentleness. It takes patience. Lastly, it'll take love. It'll take love. Go one last place, please. Colossians chapter 3. Go to the right. Ephesians, Philippians, then Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Look at three verses here. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Now, remember the passage we just read? It said it, it gave us lowliness of mind and all of that, but then it said forbearing one another in love. I neglected to read that last part, but that's what it said in Ephesians. The last part was forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In the bond of peace. Forbearing one another in love. What's that mean? It means to be patient with, like we just saw. It means to put up with someone. You ever, you ever put up with someone? It means to endure with them. It means to bear with them. In fact, in Galatians 6, 2, it says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Hey, you know, be, be willing to, to bear things up with somebody else, to carry it, to be patient with them, to, to, to endure with that person. But then in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, he says this, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, just abundant mercifulness, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness or gentleness, long-suffering, Patience, forbearing one another, there it is again, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even so Christ, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Now the last verse talked about the bond of peace. What's a bond? It's a it's a it's a joining. Bonding something joins it. The bond of peace. Now it says the bond of perfectness or maturity. And when you can get to the point where your life is being lived through love, 
You're well on your way to binding things back together that have been torn apart. The devil tears everything. But God says, no, love, love can join those things. And it's a mark of spiritual maturity when you can look at someone that's disagreeing with you, that you can look with someone that maybe is causing a division or trying to, and you can deal with them in love. That, that is a mark of spiritual maturity because that's what it ought to be. That, that, you know, the devil is tearing everybody apart, but we ought to have so much love that it is bringing people together. Does that mean we tolerate sin? No, that's not what it means. But it means that we can still deal with people in love. And that's why God puts love at the top of every list of things that we need to have. I mean, love is at the top of every single list. And now in this list, it's amazing that it was the same list that we saw before, but Paul added a few things. But please see that love is the key ingredient. If you love, if you love God like you're supposed to, you'll start loving people like you're supposed to. And if you do that, you'll humble yourself. And if you love people and you love God like you're supposed to, you'll be gentle. You'll be patient. You'll forbear. And it also says here, you'll forgive. Forgiving one another. And so tonight, as, as we close, I just want to ask, you know, are you, are you bringing unity to your home? Are you being, bringing unity to your Sunday school class? Are you bringing unity to the ministry you're involved in? Are you bringing unity to the church, or are you seeking to divide? Are you causing schisms? Because the devil's very much happy with the schisms, but that's not what God wants. And I wonder tonight, maybe there's someone that you need to go to in the spirit of humility, forgiving or talking with them. I wonder if there's somebody that, that God is bringing to your mind that maybe they just bug you. But, but God is speaking, hey, that's your brother, that's your sister. You need to deal with them in love. You need to deal with them in patience and gentleness and humility. Because we've got to have unity. If the church is going to be strengthened like it needs to be, there needs to be unity. And the overall character trait we need and all of that is we need more love. So God, help us to love more today. I mean, that's our prayer. Father, I pray you'd help us to love each other more. I pray that we'd pray for each other more. 